Blog Talk Radio. Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to Turn It Up, our newest show featured on A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Turn It Up is all about independent recording artists of all kinds. R&B, rap, jazz, neo-soul, rock, gospel, or any random genre you can think of. Turn It Up is here to feature and help independent artists to give you the opportunity to be heard on live radio all over the world to help share your music across the globe and take your talents to the next level by showcasing new music, sharing studio recording tips and tricks to help make your tracks stand out like the pros. And in- Welcome, Truth Seekers. You're listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. And I'm your host, Michael Fordham. Look, if you just click the link on my webpage or you're listening on blogtalkradio.com or even the Blog Talk Radio player on my Facebook page and you want to call in live, look, we'd love to talk with you. So give us a call. The number is 347-326-9470. Or if you like, you can tweet me your questions and comments at twitter.com slash a measure of truth. Also, if you haven't yet, why don't you look me up on Facebook? I'm the Michael Fordham with a photo of me in studio, and you can always email me your questions and comments at a measure of truth at gmail.com. Look, we got a great show for you today. We'll be right back after this. We live in a world today where broadcast media has fallen from its once lofty pedestal, the primary source of accurate, concise news and information, to an industry in a state of panic. Faced with the ongoing challenge of monetizing digital news due to the intricate open source complexities of the Internet, 
We find that instead of newspapers, magazines, and TV networks being separate entities, we now see that they're all merely divisions of the same media conglomerate. In the end result, we find a culture of networks that have evolved to make truth and accuracy secondary, and the pursuit of ratings, advertising dollars, and the buzz of social media, the news desk primary focus. The once rare occurrence has become the standard, and the code of ethics that held the profession of journalism in check is long forgotten, as well as its often touted quotes that were carefully placed in a network's statement of retraction and apology for unvetted news stories gone awry. The factual basis for news has taken a back seat to its emotional value and viral potential. This is so much a part of the new media debacle that you can hardly find news stories, or even a weather report for that matter, that have not been exaggerated with a healthy dose of sensationalism, scare tactics, or unwarranted possible tragic outcomes. Shaping public opinion used to be a part of a network's identity that they would reiterate with a daily barrage of blurbs that were meant to educate or reinforce their values or politics that define their mission and would hopefully make them stand out among their competitors as a unique source. Although media seems to have the full attention of the corporate and political base, it seems to be losing its control and status in the realm of public opinion. Most have given up on trying to drive these opinions and are now relying more and more on trying to follow rather than lead and focus on early discovery and adaptation of social media trends in order to hopefully appear to be in line with public opinion. Look, there's a hole in the wall of new media, but the way I see it, the problem's not the hole, the problem is the wall. It's what's hidden behind the wall or veil, if you will, is new media's failing. It's no secret that the media has for some time focused on how to earn viewers' loyalty and trust in order to control how and what we think. But the veracity of social media's information exchange has forced new media to rethink their programming and interaction with this new type of viewer that is evolving and growing at a faster pace that can be accurately measured by today's benchmarks. With the on-camera presence of the laptop on virtually every newscast, media has conveniently presented a viable resource that the viewer could very well use to get the same information. This once sedentary audience is now supplementing their viewing experience with a healthy dose of online multitasking and have become very tech savvy and needs to be recognized as capable of news gathering, critical thinking, and fact checking from multiple sources at a moment's notice, voicing their point of view and quickly becoming a viable part of the story through public opinion, which then gives them an even greater role on how news is compiled and disseminated. Our world is rapidly changing, as is our response to news stories and the tactics that can be used effectively to captivate audiences. Some of these tactics that are still used are rapidly becoming outdated. For example, when I hear a news teaser that tells me that I would need to tune in at 10 or 11 to get the full story, I'm no longer at the mercy of the network. As a matter of fact, if I am indeed interested, I search the topic myself on the Internet. 
to find the information that they would want me to wait to hear. And I find that by the time the story airs at 10 or 11, 1. I have more information on the same story that was presented in the newscast. 2. I have already had plenty of time to discuss it in detail with my wife and form my own opinion. 3. Tweeted, posted the topic or news story on Facebook and Google+, LinkedIn from the sources that I've found. And 4. I've had the time to respond to the comments from the network of friends and responders. And 5. By the time the story airs at 10 or 11, not only am I not further informed by its 40 to 90 second contribution, I'm also unimpressed. Am I the only one who takes this approach? I think not. This is rapidly becoming the norm. Just as YouTube has fostered a culture of content that is promoted after it's produced based on its organic interest and buzzworthy measure on the social media trend curve, we find that new media's attempts to manufacture or counterfeit this kind of response has led to awkward, failed attempts that merge new media concepts with old production standards that, in effect, creates a random hodgepodge that often falls short on both production and execution. Just as Facebook has shown it's far better to go to where the traffic is than to spend the money and resources it takes to drive traffic to you, we see a new paradigm in web analytics that has a repeating theme that reveals that the free, trending social media solution that everyone's talking about is what's more often the most effective. Now that the public has fully embraced this powerful new tool of social media and can now dictate by their actions how and where they would like to receive and align themselves with sources of news and information, it's clear that some changes need to be made. Although I do have some answers due to over a decade in media and some astute observations, I can say this. What is most important in this ever-changing world of new media, information technology, and social media is that new media visionaries stay focused in order to get that first glimpse of what's new on the horizon and project and plan for its potential impact and opportunity accordingly. So it's imperative in order to gain this advantage that first and foremost that we are at least looking in the right direction. I'm confident to say that I'm looking in the right direction and I'm in the process of perfecting a system of digital media standards that produce social interaction engines that will easily power the social media vehicle of the day and quickly be dropped into the new media model of the future. It's not as difficult as one might think. We just need to see our viewers as trusted partners and not a captive audience. I predicted the death of the printed newspaper back in 2004 for this very same reason. Now you would think that with all this talk about what's wrong in new media, that I would have all the answers. Well, I don't. But I promise though that in the near future, it will be very clear that I have taken up the banner to be a key player in this new media transition and I have committed myself to do my part to rage against the machine. But this is a major undertaking, that although I've laid the groundwork, 
It will require the support and expertise of some very talented and dedicated individuals. Believe it or not, I think I've got that part taken care of. I have put together my own dream team of visionaries, if you will, that are some of the most dynamic, forward, critical thinkers that the industry has never heard of. Well, not in this capacity anyway. And our unorthodox approach to new media standards will be a catalyst for change and a successful transition. But honestly, our work has just begun. I could puff out my chest and speculate and make vast projections about this new undertaking. After all, I'm honored and humbled at the task and clear vision that God has given me. Yes, I could say more. But anything beyond that requires a measure of truth. Howard Cook was born, raised, and still resides in Arlington, Virginia. Currently works as the Frequency Infrastructure Coordinator for the PCIA, a subsidiary of the Federal Communications Commission. He has a strong background in local and state government development and management. For over 20 years, Howard has worked for various national, state, and local associations and government municipalities. Throughout his professional development, he has acquired skills in team building, leadership, program management, member services, events promotion, and planning. Well, that's only half the story. As a promoter, Howard Cook has a huge following and a reputation for hosting some of the most well-attended, sold-out galas in the D.C. metropolitan area, as well as concerts of world-renowned recording artists. Many know the name, many know the face, but how many really know the man behind the magic? Howard Cook, welcome to A Measure of Truth. Oh, good evening. Hey, man, good to have you on. <laughs> Glad to How's be everything? here. Glad to be <laughs> All right. You know, Howard, um, you know, I first had the idea for this show when I first sat down and really got a chance to get to know you and discover how multifaceted you are as far as your talents and all the things you are involved with. And, um, you know, I guess on this side of the fence in the entertainment realm, this all started for you as a DJ, is that correct? It actually is. It, it basically started for me as a, uh, yeah, I used to DJ on one turntable like many of us out there who who are currently DJing now. Uh, I don't DJ anymore, but for me it started when I was like uh, 11 or 12 years old. I used to do uh, uh, birthday parties and house parties at my house or other people's house and have it, you know, play on that one turntable, play 30, you know, the 33-inch records. Right, right. And, you know, it's really interesting. I'm always interested in all facets of the entertainment industry. And promoters are like, they're a, they're a big deal, but no one really knows who they are because they sort of remain in the background. And um, just tell us how, you know, sort of developing your craft as a DJ led you to, you know, move forward and, and continue to promote and host these events. Well, basically, it's God. That's first and foremost. I have to give all credit to God for that. And in regards to the DJ era, I just like to see people happy and 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 coming together and on a positive level and enjoying themselves in the social social environment. As far as the DJ 
thing started with me. Like I said, it started in the in, in the basements of my my mother and mom and dad's house, and then went on to start doing uh, uh, in recreation centers and ended up doing weddings and parties. And probably my most uh, prolific uh, event was in DJing. Was probably doing the the White House uh, uh, Treasury uh, Credit Union's uh, Christmas party. I used to be an annual DJ for that. Oh uh, wow! Then I went on yeah. So you did that every year for how many years? Did that for four straight years. I DJed the White House Christmas uh, Credit Union Christmas parties for four straight years. So it's mm. pretty interesting. Pretty interesting. <laughs> now you know you went from from DJing to you know hosting events for you know some of the elites as well as how did you con- get connected with all of these um, recording yeah, it, artists it, and. You know the the various people we see you on the Facebook. You got one of the hottest Facebook pages out there. But <laughs> we we see you at all your events and promotions and things like that. How did all of that occur? Well, I tell you, Mike, that that all started. Uh, it all started with my my uh, tenure working in parks and recreation uh, back for Arlington County government. Uh, started there. Uh, back in 19, probably 1985 or so. And I started putting together elementary after-school programs. They, you know, they hired me as a program coordinator uh, for after-school, and I started putting together activities and programs for, after, for elementary-age kids. From there, I went on to, you know, went on to college uh, doing the, uh, once I graduated from Wakefield High School, went on to college to Virginia Union. And I... Um, Saw this gentleman uh, in student in the student government association, and uh, he kind of leered me into uh, uh, finding out more about the student government in regards to on the activities realm. So I was very interested in, in becoming a part of how to develop activities for the students of Virginia Union, and so I became the uh, uh, got appointed to be the activities coordinator of Virginia Union to put together. Uh, social events, uh, put together uh, uh, educational um, programs for the students of Virginia Union, currently while I was still a student of Virginia Union. So I did that for four years. So the interest of wanting to always be involved and create activities and programs started, you know, I would have to say with the elementary for parks and recreation. So in the seasons Mm -hmm. where I wasn't in college, in the summer seasons, I would come back and do summer camp programs, I then be, uh, started doing um, community events for uh, on a countywide level for Arlington County. Uh, I was a part. I was the at one time I was responsible for putting together the entire county fair for Arlington County for three years. So now, this uh, is the thing that gets me, Howard. How, how when you come up with ideas and concepts and things that you should do. Wow, the logistics behind that is the really complicated part. You know, pulling everyone together, helping them to see your vision, and also bringing together something that's successful. And you can monitor to know whether or not it's working or it's not, or if you have to make some adjustments. Where do you get that from? Well, I have to say it comes from my uh, my spiritual base. And I'll start with that because one of my favorite verses, uh, scriptures, uh, is Philippians 2, 3, and 4, where, where it talks about not being selfish or ambitious or conceited and mm-hmm. be humble and count others more sufficient than yourself. And also to to take their interests, not just my own interest, but their interests uh, as valuable as my interests. And, and that's probably how 
I started to get more involved in promotions is that I started listening to people and watching people and watching fellow promoters um, put on events and then taking that and adapting those, you know, the best practices of those and, and turn them into things that I, I knew I could get people to come to that would right. enjoy themselves. And share with me the story um, that you told me about before. I think it was at Meriwether Post Pavilion. I believe it was an event going on there, a jazz festival. And um, and you started off working in one capacity, and, and then things sort of evolved from there. Well, I've, I've, you know, Meriwether Post Pavilion, I've been now going on two years for the Capital Jazz Fest as a staff member. Working, uh, I started working as just a driver for the artist and uh, picking up artists and things of that nature, and, and, and now one of the art activities coordinators to help out uh, in connecting with the artists, making sure that uh, they're taken care of. Wow. Um, it then led on to me, I guess, for the work that I did there, it led on to me um, uh, becoming a part of the Capital Jazz Fest Super Crew staff, and, uh, which is very, very in-depth and very tedious. But mm. it's... Uh, just to see the people enjoy something that you've helped to put together is very rewarding. Give people an idea of the the, um, the size and the scope of of the super cruise. How many artists are we talking about? And how many people are you know are on this cruise? Well, this, the the Capital Jazz Fest Super Cruise has been going on now for I guess this year was the eleventh year. Uh, the the land the land fest, which is the Capital Jazz Fest. It's the Capital Jazz Festival, which takes place every first full weekend in June, uh, that's been going on for 21 years. So with the Super Cruise, the, the, what happens is the uh, ownership and management of the Capital Jazz, they run out the entire ship. The, sh- the ship holds anywhere between three to 4,000 people. And they bring on probably anywhere between 25 up to 40 artists, R&B, jazz, uh, neo-soul artists. Uh, mm-hmm. to entertain those participants that have paid to come go on this super cruise. Uh it's a eight days it's a eight day cruise. Um, uh we do four ports and uh the the job of the staff is to make sure that those paying customers are entertained uh and to make sure they're they're feeling right at home uh as if they were right there in the, in the in a, in an arena, a land arena. <laughs> Mm, okay. And so how many artists are performing a night? Well, the the activities start from 7 a.m. in the morning with uh, physical fitness, uh, exercise classes, Zumba, things of that nature. And then the first actual concert starts at, at noon. So it goes from noon wow. until 3 in the morning. Uh, wow. Every night? Every, every day? Every day, four different the four different stages stage platforms with uh, on the ship uh, with a different type of music genre in those four categories that I mentioned earlier. Uh, so those paying customers have the opportunity of going to and from to wherever they choose based on whatever artists they're interested in the most. Wow! And how many artists total are we talking about? Uh, like I said before, is anywhere between twenty-five to forty artists. And what we do is uh, we we bring artists with us when we when we leave from Miami, uh, and then when we on our first port, uh, we normally uh, drop some of those artists off who joined us in Miami on the first night, and then pick up more as we go along on different ports that we stop at. 
Yeah, tell us some of the artists that um, are, have been on this cruise. Oh, wow. <laughs> you <laughs> name it, they've been there. Uh, starting with, uh, you know, Jeffrey Osborne, Pat LaBelle, Frankie Beverly, Chuck Brown. Uh, last year we had Stephanie Mills, Shante Moore, uh, Ray Goodman and Brown, uh, Larry Graham. Uh, uh, Charlie Wilson was there last year, Dougie Fresh. Uh, Jeff Larber, Richard Elliott, Rick Brom, Will Downing, uh, major major artists. These are all top notch level artists that you that you get the the opportunity of enjoying under on on under one roof, which is wow. so happens to be at this point in time for eight days. Yeah, and you know you really can't imagine having the opportunity to see so many artists in such a short time frame. You know. Um, yeah, there are that, other, that, and I have to say, Mike, there are other cruises out there who who are having similar types of environments, such as the Capital Jazz Fest Super Cruise, but this is a more intimate intimate cruise with only having three thousand. Tom Joyner does much larger, and, and then they have this this now they have this old train cruise, which takes place every year now. Oh wow! Okay, so tell us what it's like to to work around so many. Um, you know, celebrities and music greats. Um, you're talking Patti LaBelle and, you know, these well, are the folks that... Yeah, to be honest, you know, years ago when I was still in college, I would, you know, outside of my parts and recreation genre, I was also working part-time with MCA Records. So with that, I was the street, I was one of the street reps helping to get the the uh, music out into the clubs and get it on, making, helping uh, my, one of my good friends, Bo Sampson, get it on, get it played on the local radio stations here in in the DMV. Uh, but but mostly, and and I had the opportunity then to working with a lot of artists then, uh, with Bo Sampson, yeah. artists like we, you know, the term we used back then was breaking artists, which right. means we helped them to get established in in the uh, the different regions of the of the uh, country. So we had the Eastern Region, and uh, I worked closely with Bo Sampson, helping to get uh, Joe to see and Gladys Knight on when they were, you know, when Gladys Knight was coming back, and then when Patti LaBelle came back, resurfaced with the, her new Attitude album. That's uh, so working with her. Um, so various different artists. Uh, Levert, when Levert first came out, uh, we we went around with them, taking them all up and down the East Coast, um, helping them to uh, make their mark. Are there any other record companies you've worked with? <laughs> no, no, that was it. I, I, I and, don't know and if I heard that. Is my friendship? It's, you know, <laughs> like I said, I'm a believer that I try to be a blessing to others uh, mm-hmm. and, and treat people the way I like. You know, if if they were working with me, is how I want to be treated. So I tried not to. You know that old that old saying when you uh, you be be careful. You know, when you're going up the ladder, make sure. You treat people the way you'd like to be treated because sooner or later you have to come back down that ladder. That's right. So with that, my, my that's where how I probably pretty much developed my networking skills and helping me to do these extracurricular activities like promotions or or when I was in parts and recreation, things like in, putting on the county fairs and the multicultural festivals for anywhere between uh, 100 up to 10,000 people. Uh, in in some of our parks in Arlington, so yeah, um, you know, 
And, and you're a really busy guy. You, you got a lot of stuff going on. I'm, you know, I'm a busy guy, but <laughs> then I look at what you have on your plate. Some of the things you're always telling me you're doing every time we're trying to get some time together to go over some things or just to hang out. So right. um, it, it's amazing how you fit so much into your schedule. But, you know, all of these different disciplines and all of these different areas you have expertise in, who does the artwork for the, the promotional flyers and um you know the you know things you put out on Facebook and on the internet. Who does that? You know, it's so interesting you say that. We work. You know, I work with a conglomerate of people. Uh, I'm not the 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 promoter who always does all the promotions. I have a, there's a team of us, a team of promoters in the DMV area, which are very positive mm-hmm. uh, in putting on some of these events that like you've seen. So I'm a part of those teams uh, mm-hmm. and. We have we have uh, contractors who actually put help to put our flyers together. A lot of them come to us and we meet them right there in the, in the events, and they come and sell themselves to us and say, "Hey, I can do this for you. I can do this for you." So it's it's the networking, it's the positive. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and um, so as far as the legwork and the footwork that you do, as far as um, promoting events for various artists and things like that. Um, how, how did you get involved with that? Was that just an offshoot of you working with the record company? It, some of it was an offshoot working with the record company. It was my 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 experience at Virginia Union, and uh, I actually uh, sang with in the in the college choir with Will Downing. So that's how our friendship oh. developed at Virginia Union. <laughs> Dude, I did not know you could sing. Okay, here we go again. <laughs> Too much. Wait, don't, what right. did you look? Don't. Don't don't tell our pastor. He he might <laughs> have a, he may have a different scope on that. <laughs> uh, okay, all right. <laughs> well, you, you were singing in the choir with Will Downing. Um, that that's some cred right there. <laughs> I was on. Uh, you know, I went to Virginia Union on a business administration uh, as a business administration major, and uh, just like anyone else, always been try- always tried to find ways of trying to. Uh, uh, mitigate my expenses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, you know, I wasn't, you know, I didn't come from a very well-off family in regards to financial success. But uh, so I had to find ways of of making it happen financially for me to, in order for me to acquire, an edu- you know, college education. I was, I'm one of, one of nine children who's ever gone to college and completed college. And so when I was doing that, that that's what brought me to working part-time in the summers to try to uh, raise money for me to pay for my schooling when I went back to Virginia. The choir was just one element that I was able to find out about when I went to college. My roommate at that particular time, my freshman year, actually uh, was a scholarship uh, holder of one of the scholarships for the Virginia Union Traveling Choir. It was a concert choir singing anthems and and classical music, uh, all black choir at Virginia Union. Uh, renowned had made seven albums because of that because of that meeting because of the nature of what they were doing. So he said, "Why don't you come and try out for the choir?" I said, "Me and me singing in a, in a, in a, at that particular time, you, I thought it was a professional choir, which it was, but I had never sung in an organized choir outside of the church. So I went to this audition and um, actually sang for the director, Dr. Odell Hobbs, and and he offered me a scholarship to become. To, to be one of his tenors in the concert traveling choir, 
and also to help put the tours together because he knew I was mm-hmm. working in the you know student government in, in charge of the activities for uh, Virginia Union. So I became a member of the choir on scholarship, and my job there was to sing and also to to put the two week college tour together. Wow. <laughs> so I I guess you can sing. <laughs> You sang your way through school, right, on scholarship. So I, I guess that that's enough right there as far as the credibility goes. And I don't know. If, I don't know if the scholarship was was <laughs> for me putting the tour together. <laughs> All right. Now, how did you go from being a, a DJ to the technical director of the media and sound ministry at Mount Zion? <laughs> uh, I've always I've always had an interest for. Um, you know, I always had an interest for that type of of ministry. Um, back when I was at Lomax Sammy Zion Church, I spent 37 years there, and I was the the uh, media director for Lomax. That church, you know, very small compared to the church I attend now, because they only had at that particular time they had a mixer, uh, which only you know, which only uh, triggered up four mics. So it was very easy, and so then I started to self-teach and started to attend classes uh, to help me learn more about electronics, to help me more about sound and engineering. Um, and that led me to, led me, to, you know, when I finally joined Mount Zion, I, I, I was going back and forth from Mount Zion to Lomax for a year before I actually decided to, to transfer membership and join Mount Zion. From that, I started to, you know, I wanted to be real low-key because at Lomax, I was uh, directing four choirs at that time. I was the, uh, uh, the music chair for for the church. I was also the director of youth, the director of men's ministry, uh, and and singing as well, uh, as well as doing, doing the, the small media stuff that we had in place there. Like I said, media at Lomax was nowhere near what as you have seen in Mount Zion right now. We never we didn't have T V, didn't have didn't have to worry about internet, didn't have to worry about streaming, didn't have to worry about uh monitors and, and, and wedges and, and and PowerPoints and things of that nature. Right, right. Uh, so once I got to Mount Zion as to finish up with with on your question, um I said I was going to remain low key. But God has a way of, of of once he gives you a talent, if you don't use, I'm a strong believer. If you don't use the talent that God has given you, then you, then he will take it because you have not you have not uh, used his talents the way he has given them to you. Yeah, well, <laughs> you definitely overuse yours, and you would need God in order to be able to do all that you do <laughs> on a weekly basis and a daily basis. Um, you know, it's amazing to me because there's still some things we haven't touched on yet. Um, some of the work you've done with um, the Park Service and some of the programs you put together for youth as well, I, I do want to touch on those. But um, the, the the you say to me that you're sort of going in another direction with your promotions and, and things like that as well. Tell us about that and, and what do you feel and what do you see as um, a way that God wants you to use your talents in the in the future? Well, you know, I'm not a – we always say we're not ministers in one sense. I'm not a minister of in, in regards to uh, being inside of a church and preaching every Sunday, but I do believe that God gives us the tools to go out and help to bring souls to Christ. 
Mm-hmm. And through that, you know, I've I've kind of tried to learn uh, that direction and, and taking it to how I promote. I mean, I'm not the type of promoter that goes out. Sure, I love to to enjoy the events, but when I'm there, it's all about making sure that those people who are, who have taken the time to come out and support what you've done are enjoying themselves to the and enjoying themselves in a, in a way that's professional, in a way that is fun, in a way that is respectful. Uh, and then because of the way I walk and the, the way I'm involved in those events, um, I try to let them see the spiritual side of me in, 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 as well. Um, mm-hmm. So, so the, the, to answer your question in more detail, uh, any time I do a promotion, I always like to give back. I always like to give back. So we, uh, the team that I work with uh, twice a year, uh, Damian Scott and Steve Mathis uh, are a big part of that in helping to do that. There are two events in which we have now annual events every year, which is a cancer awareness event. Uh, it's always in in July. We call it the Pink and White Affair, uh, where we bring awareness to all types of cancer. And we have an event, and and we try and then from that event, like the last the event we had this past July. We had over uh, 3,000 people at that event, uh, and we tried to uh, we make a donation to give back to cancer awareness. Mm. So whatever event that I'm a part of, it, it has to be something that, that draws some kind of positive uh, outcome from the event in order for me to be involved in it. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's really good. Um, and, you know, there's there's actually a movement going on with more and more companies um, actually establishing business plans that will do just that as well. They actually are building it into the business plan how they're going to give back and how they're going to donate. And um, it, it's it's a new movement called Conscious Capitalism. You guys have to check it out. I've been, you know, going to some of the meetings and um, some seminars. I spoke at um, UDC a, a couple of weeks ago as well with the group and uh, plan on doing a lot more with them in the future. But it's interesting how you used to say that, that. And a lot of people are thinking of ways to be able to integrate that into what they're already doing as well. So, you know, you know kudos to you for, you know, thinking about, ways that are beyond profit um, to be able to reach out to the community, even though I'm sure people are having a great time at these events that you guys host, you know, finding a way to, yeah, to connect with um, a charity or someone out there who's really making a big difference on the lives of people. Yes, I totally agree. And I would love to, to uh, become a part of that or even talk to that group, the capital group that you mentioned. Uh, we, yeah. we have the we have the ideas and and the uh, the ability to make uh, the DMV uh, very very enjoyable for all those who come to our promotions. Yeah, yeah, and, and just tell us a little bit about one of your your recent big events, um, the tenth annual All Black Thanksgiving Weekend event. Man, that thing was. <laughs> yeah, that that was uh, it was more than what I had anticipated. To be honest, I think it was more than what the the uh, the promoters uh, the promoters had anticipated as well. We had uh, the, the from the time that I had joined up with these guys, I never thought that uh, uh, this event would get to the level it's gotten. And I think it had a lot to do with the my friendship with some of the artists that I helped mm-hmm. to bring to that event. Um, mm-hmm. 
Centennial All Black event is is just uh, it's a spinoff basically. It's a spinoff from a, a an activity that used to in the promotion that used to take place uh, with a group called Positive Black Men. They used to do a every every Saturday uh, after Thanksgiving they would come together in Crystal City, Virginia, and have this uh, after Thanksgiving event. And uh, the group kind of dispersed. Uh, some of the members now uh, I have teamed up with some of one of the members who used to be a part of that. Uh, and, and and to helping to bring this all black event to, all black affair event together, it uh, used to be just DJs in the event uh, for up to maybe uh, five years up until the last two years. Then we came with the concept of starting to put artists and celebrities into the event to help make it a more fashionable, more attractive event uh, to attract more you know all ages, all adult ages. Uh, yeah, this and year then we had this a, event. Oh, I was just going to say. Yeah, go ahead and say the artist. I was just going to go ahead and this this event sold out, and and I have to, you know, when we first started, we first started marketing when the event was first being marketed. It was only marketed with Dwelle, the artist Dwelle. Uh, we uh, then came and uh, my partners uh, came to me and said, "Is there any possible way that you can get Shantae to consider to be a part of this Shantae Moore to be a part of this event?" And I had uh, known Shantae for years, years and years back in MCA Records when I was working uh, with MCA Records, and uh, so I developed a relationship with her then, and had not talked to her on a constant up until this year, uh, back in June, at the uh, Capital Jazz Fest. She actually was one of the artists at the Capital Jazz Fest. Mm. So at that particular, you know, at that time, I was driving her around and being her bodyguard and and. And her valet, I would, if you want to say, <laughs> idea across to her and see if she was interested in helping out with this event. Uh, and uh, she said, "Call her." So she gave me her number. I called her and her manager and had her on three way, and we and we talked about the possibility of bringing her in the show. Uh, first, uh, uh, my the, my other partners did not want her because of the, of the expense, but then. Oh. Uh, but after, but then after we went back to her and talked to her and we got we worked out an agreement for her to come in uh, to help us out and because of her being in, the, in that lineup, that's how that event sold out. That event would wow. not have sold out the first artist we had, but when we put Shantae in it and because of Shantae Moore being on R&B Divas, it, the timing was just perfect. She wow. everything everything just blew up at that point. So that event. We could have actually did two nights of that event, to be honest. <laughs> and how many people are we talking about? And this this was at well, we LaFont Plaza. We probably had Plaza. anywhere between four to 5,000 people at that event at LaFont Plaza Hotel. Actually, and we were the last mm. event. LaFont Plaza Hotel is now closed, uh, but they're closed for renovations, but they allowed us to do the last event before they're closing. So wow. we had the event on the Saturday of Thanksgiving. That very next morning, Sunday morning, they closed their doors to the public. <laughs> They would have had to close anyway. Oh yeah, they definitely had to close anyway. <laughs> that is that is intense. How long? I mean, the the ballroom was how big was it? We use well, anytime, uh, and like I said, there are a conglomerate of promoters, probably anywhere between uh, four to six, to help to bring events. You know, like I said, these three the three major events every year, and in, in which the DMV promoters come together. Uh, that I'm friends with, uh, and uh, so we came together. That event started 
like we're already planning for uh, July and November already this year. <laughs> um, but it took probably about, let's say, Capital Jazz was back in, it's always its first weekend in June, so it started planning in that in May to make it happen in November. And that is crazy. But yeah, um, so you, have you and, guys done an event that large in the past, or? Well, we all, like I said, all all the promoters that come together for this event, they we outside of the conglomerate of promoters that bring these events together, we do mm-hmm. our separate things. We all have separate industries, so we all have, have separate promotions. So before Panther Productions, which is my my company, <laughs> uh, I used to. Uh, have a company with uh, a guy named Ted Coles, and we had a company called Hounds Production. So we, Hounds Production used to do special events for celebrities and, and, and pro athletes. So we would always do the after the Michael Jordan after after party. Every time uh, the Chicago Bulls played the Washington Bullets, uh, we always had Michael Jordan party afterwards. Mm. We, always did Mike, uh, we always did Magic Johnson's uh, Midnight Summer Dream. I don't know if you remember that event. It used to be a basketball, yeah. used to be a charity basketball game held at the old Capitol Center. Mm-hmm. Uh, we and we used to do the after party for that with Magic Johnson. So I would be with him for a week and, and going around with him. He had a fashion show. He had did various fundraisers throughout D.C. And during that week, I would go out with him and Charles Barkley to help promote this event, and so we were the ones who put the after party together, uh, and we had an event for him that year. It was 10,000 people at the Omni Showroom Hotel wow. in D.C. Wow. Hmm. On top of that, Hounds Production, we always were the the group who would go. We would follow the NBA All-Star game around. In whichever city it was in, we would always have the closing party for the NBA All-Star weekend. Hmm. Wow. Dude, you, so you then I got out of it <laughs> back in 2000. I took a break. Right. Took a break in uh, just to lay low for a while. You know, I was burnt out. Mm-hmm. And also I was director of youth at Lomax, so I wanted to give more time to the youth at, at Lomax at that particular time. And and doing the, the, the events planning, was the promotions was not a part of my agenda at that time. So we took I took a break. Uh, but then in '09, someone came to me and asked me if I would help them with an event, and that's what got me revitalized again to do promotions again. Wow! And you know, you're a busy guy. As a matter of fact, I could hear that you were doing stuff while you were talking to me. Oh <laughs> uh, yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you're so busy, man. I'm just happy to have you on for a couple minutes. And I understand you got things you have to do, but that that's cool. But um, not at all, Mike. Never too busy to do to do positive. You know, with all the things you have to do, the last time I spoke with you, and there's always something new. You you tell me that you are a basketball referee as well. Wow, that's <laughs> yes, crazy. I've been refereeing for. Uh, I just started my 30th season this year. Oh and I do scholastic ball, uh, AAU, and recreation recreation level basketball. I've done some uh, semi pro games in my earlier years, uh, but now it's pretty much just uh, scholastic and recreation in uh, AAU basketball. But yes, wow. been official for thirty years. Love it. Yeah, that's, that's yeah. Way of keeping my cardio up, I guess. <laughs> so I average yeah, anywhere you know. between. I average anywhere between ten to 
14 games a week. Really? Yeah. And you have a full-time job. Have a full-time job. Got to. So, Got to pay the bills. <laughs> and, and and you do all of these other things, and yeah, I don't know how you do it, Howard, really. Um, so, like, to be honest, like I said, if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't be able to do it. You know, my, my dad told me something when I was younger, and I never understood what it meant. But he, he used to always say, I always say, well, you never give me rest. He, he said, well, I'll get some rest when, when, when I'm called up to heaven. <laughs> That's when I know I can <laughs> sleep as long as I want to. Uh, well, you know, I'm just going to pray for you and hope you get some rest before then. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. No, but it's fine. You know, and it's so interesting with the promotions, Mike, is that every promotion that I'm a part of doesn't mean that I'm out there in the promotion. I may help on the end, and I'm I'm a big-time behind-the-scenes kind of guy when it comes to events planning and promotions. So I like to help to create and put things together. But it doesn't necessarily mean that I go to every promotion. It just seems like that from the pictures. Of course, of course. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Well, it sounds like, Howard, you have a lot of fun, and, um, you know, it's good to see you on Facebook all over the place and, you know, with the celebrities and all the regular people, too, with the genuine smiles on their faces, knowing that they are, you know, happy to be at a party that they know that you have something to do with and um, your your rep your reputation precedes itself. And, um, you know, I, I'm looking forward to trying to get to one of your events myself. Well, anytime you want to, just, just let me know. And and, uh, and you mentioned party, and I don't like, you know, I'm, I'm not an advocate of, of, of parties. I'm an advocate of an, an event or an experience. And that's what, that's in, in help in developing these things. That's, that's the one thing that I, that I try to, to direct the energy in is us have given the experience to those people, those clients who are coming to that event. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. So what do you have coming up next? Uh, I'm actually working on my promotions for the CIAA. It's, this is my second year doing an event down to CIAA, so uh, I'll be doing the finale, the, uh, finale event for the CIAA down in Charlotte, North Carolina, in two weeks. Um, wow. The old school throwback event. Yeah, for a mature yeah, I audience. Saw that. Yes. All right, and and that that's for mature audiences. Why? Uh, because that's the only that's the only group that I cater to in regards to you know. I, exactly. You know, I, Just, that is that's that's what is my there, is there an age limit? Uh, the age limit I the age limit that we try to that I cater to when I'm doing my promotions is is uh, thirty and older. I see. 30 and older. 30 and older. All right. Well, that's great, man. <laughs> and each you know, event, there's a dress code for every event that we do. Right. It just brings a certain type of mentality to your, your event. And, you, you know, know, if people are out there and they're thinking about how can I, you know, how can I get into this? How can I go about, um, you know, doing events, promotions, and Tell us some of the things that you really have to look within yourself and understand. Are you good at this thing in order to be able to do something and pull off some of these things that are as, you know, extravagant as some of the things that you've been a part of? Well, the first thing I'd have to say is you have to have a liking for self. If you don't like who you are as a person, you're not going to be very successful uh, in events planning. Uh, Because if you like yourself, no matter what, 
failures you have when you do your plan an event, then you always have you to come back to and say, you know, I've given the best I can give in this event, and that helps you to evaluate what did not go right in that particular event the next time around when you're trying it again. So I would have to say, number one, would be liking, the liking of self. Secondly, liking of people, because you're doing events. It's not about you doing the party for you. It's about you doing the, and I said the party work. It's not about <laughs> you doing it for you. It's about you uh, doing an event for those people that are coming to enjoy something that you created. So if you don't have a liking for people, uh, then you're not going to be successful in it. If it's all about the money, uh, it may work a few times, but to to have a tenure and a long, to make it a, a long-term goal or, or a long-term journey, uh, you won't last very long in the business. And, you know, one of the reasons why these events are so popular and, you know, they you're so successful as well is there's a there's a genuine need out there. You know, the the lives that we're trapped in right now with um, our work, um, social media, um, other demands on us, and people have forgotten how to let go and how to really relax and have a good time and take their mind off of things for a minute. It's so hard for them to do. And um, I, I see events like this are just ways that people could just shut it down for a minute, put something on the calendar that could be a little mini vacation for them even, you know, just to be able to, to take the load off, get rid of the stress and relax and, you know, be someone they used to be or either that, just be the person that they're not at work. Mike, you couldn't you you hit it right on the head. I mean, I see these these events as being stress relievers. I see them as being, uh, you know, because of the 21st century and because of technology, we're you know we're we're doing everything behind a screen. Is either behind your phone screen, is behind your computer screen, your laptop screen, your television, uh, the computer games. But you're learning life through screens now instead of interacting with folks. So, like you said, these these events are still very valuable and needed for just human growth, human maturity, human development, social developing social skill, life skills. Uh, so, I didn't even look at it that way until you said that, and you're totally right. You're totally right. Uh, yeah. You know, even starting, you know, and now everybody's dating online. You know, before, you know, when we were growing up, you you know, you would have neighborhood picnics, you would have a block party or they close the street off, or your mom and dad always had a maybe a card party, or, or they had to, in the local community centers back back then. Even in churches, they used to have dances in churches. Mm-hmm. They used to, have, I mean, they were very safe safe dances, but they were, you know, when I grew up in Lomax, they used to have uh, social events in the churches. Uh, of course, you didn't have alcohol, but they taught they taught you how to interact with folk and how to. Uh, to express yourself in in, 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 in in a way that was respectful, in a way that uh, breeded uh, connecting with other individuals, and that helped you become the person you became. But now you were learning everything, like I said, behind screens. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and it is a shame. Um, the, the interactions that people have now, that used to be that there were more um, – and I really want to touch on this because it's the real world, but nightclubs have gone from places where you would um, mingle and dance and meet people and interact to places where you would sit down and it's a lounge and uh, the music isn't as important, neither is the DJ because, you know, nobody's dancing. So 
the interaction has changed and it, it, socially we have changed quite a bit as far as um what we do when we go out um you, you'll see people who go out with a group of friends and never interact with anyone else the whole time they're there and exactly um, right. you know and it's a shame um so what do you, what do you think if I may ask you a question what do you think has caused that well of course it's um it's social media and um our addiction to our, our phones and um to our online communications and us forgetting how to be present in the now you know everyone right. is always looking at something that can happen in the future or that is going on someplace else or that is occurring in a virtual space that doesn't matter it has no real consequence has no real um you know history it, it is just an event that really is is fictional and, and people are buying into it as if it's real life and it's not yeah we you're totally right we got to have the latest gadgets in, in order to make ourselves feel more important i guess <laughs> so it, it's like i said and you reiterated on it's it's it's, it's, it's social media uh, yeah. I, I do. I mean, social media definitely has its pluses, and for, for event planners such as myself and and my partners, uh, you know, from having it's prevented me from now having to go out in the streets like I used to do when I first started promoting, putting flyers mm-hmm. on everybody's car. I would go to from <laughs> club to club right at right, the, right. the last hour, the last two hours before the clubs close, and try to catch every catch, you know, at least put flyers on all the as many cars as possible before the clubs got out. Now I have social media, Facebook, Clout, Twitter, uh, you know, LinkedIn, all of the other different social mediums, and, and, it, and it allows me to reach even more people than I was able to reach and less time-consuming. I can press a button now to get the information out. Yeah, so it does have a plus. Absolutely, and I think we just need to find more ways that people can use social media and these new connections and interactions in a healthy way instead of them being exploited by people who just want us to buy something. And, right. you know, if we can ever get there, we can turn this thing around. And that's what's going to happen because generally when something new is out there and there's new technology, that's generally what happens. Um, you know, the conglomerates will take it over and use it first and, again, try to get consumers um, corralled in one direction or another to purchase, you know, goods and services. But um, – once we figure out a way to um, take this back and to use it for our own purposes, I think that this can all be good as well. And, uh, Do you how think it have... will come back? Do you Absolutely. think it will come back in the sense that the way it, it would never be the way it used to be? I guess. Uh, but the need that... is always there. It's in us. It's innate in a, each of us as a human being. We have that need to want to interact. But Howard, I told you, man. We would run out of time before you know it, it's over with. Look, thank you again for coming on. Amen. We are out of time. Special thanks to our producer, Donna Hardiman, and Howard Cook for coming on board. I'm thank Michael you, Fordham, and you've been listening to A Measure of Truth on blogtalkradio.com. Before you go, here's a little something to take with you. Ask God for wisdom daily, but know that your lesson can come from anybody or any situation good or bad, friend or foe. Watch your thoughts. They become words. And watch your words. They become actions. And watch your actions. They become habits. And watch your habits. They become your character. 
and watch your character. It becomes your destiny. Until we meet again, take care of what becomes of you.